ask that if you would turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to start, like I said earlier, a new series called Identified is the, uh, uh, the title of our en entire series of the study of the book of Ephesians. And uh, we hope that you would stay with us through this time as we look and discover and really dig into this book. I pray that you would get really, really familiar with it. Uh, we are going to be preaching out of it on every Sunday. We have been putting some things on, our, uh, on the Bible app uh, as far as notes for you to look at, for you to just kind of uh, get familiar with, uh, like I said, the book of Ephesians. Also, when we have our community group starting up, not this Wednesday, but next, uh, we'll give you a, a, a little study guide, a, a guide for you to uh, write down some questions and, and things of that nature so that when we come to groups on that Wednesday night, that we could uh, continue to just dig in more to the book of Ephesians. You say, what is the whole purpose of that? You know, we kind of looked at this last week as far as our purpose and our mission statement, as far as our church, as far as Cross Point Community Church. And for us, we want to make sure that our church, the people that we're working with, dealing with, that we have a good understanding of God's word. Uh, as I said to you before, many times when we talk to people uh, that are very familiar, that are familiar with church, they just, we just find, when we typically use the Bible as just little sayings here and there for us to kind of get through our day and our week and maybe our year, but the Bible is so much more than that. The Bible is our, is our you know, whatever you want to call it as far as our guidebook, our, our rule book. Uh, but it, it's the word of God. It's God's word breathed out to man so that man would give us God's word. And so there's so many resources and things that we should live by, not only principles, but God speaking to, directly to his people through his word. And so we want to be able to dig in and see what God has for us, that we won't be shallow individuals, shallow Christians, but that we will be really uh, dig in deep in God's word. Now, listen, for me, uh, I feel like I can come in and give us a good little pep talk. Uh, I think I could. I think I could really make things sound really, really good for you to walk out of here really pumped up and excited. I don't think you believe me, but I think I could go on about 15, 20 minutes and dismiss us. And you would say, yes, amen, right? You'd be really <laughs> excited about that. Uh, but if I did that and all I talked about in that 15, 20 minutes is maybe comparing your life to my life, you would leave out of here like pretty excited. You would leave out of here like, man, you know what? I'm just glad I'm not Garen. I'm glad I don't live uh, in his house and have to deal with, with him. Okay, And so I could really make things sound really, really good for you to be excited about your life. And uh, especially in comparison to my life, or, and I'm just picking, but if I did those things and you left out of here, when real life hits you, because it'll probably hit you when you get to the place where you're going in just a little bit to eat lunch, whether it's with family, they'll say something to really mess with you. And uh, that little excitement, that little pep talk that I gave you ain't, is not going to uh, withstand that. Or if you go and you pick up something from Popeye's and I don't know what's going on in my throat. Amen. Yeah. You pick up something from Popeye's and, uh, and you know, they just take a little too long or, or somebody cuts you off as you're uh, turning into Popeye's and you're, and that just, that little pep talk that I gave you again, just did not help you out in that situation. You fall back to uh, where you were before you walked into this building. And so for us, the reason that we're so passionate 
about digging into God's word is because when real life really hits you in the gut and tragedy happens or you're just living your everyday life, that you would have something deep and rooted and grounded in God's word. When all that other fluff and all that other stuff just really comes uh, crumbling down, that you'd have something steady and firm and it'd be built, your life would be built on the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, this week, we've had someone that lost their job. We've had people that have prayed about a new job. We have people that just all kinds of things that are going on in your life. And for you to be able to live each and every day, not built upon, again, on just man's ideas and thoughts. Because if you ask 100 people on Facebook, uh, you're going to get 100 different opinions, right? And so, but we need to, it's okay to talk to people and ask people questions, uh, but it's important for us to listen and read and to know what God has for his people, right? And so that's why we want to be educated in God's word. Now, as we turn and look closely at the first three verses of the book of Ephesians chapter one, we're going, I'm calling this specific message, the epistle. And I really wanted to call it a letter. You know, when we're in a school building, um, one of the eighth grade teachers, uh, Jake's mom, is, in here, uh, is, uh, is one of the teachers here at the middle school. She teaches my daughter eighth grade English. And I, I was thinking about just these three verses. And I said, you know what, I almost want to bring us to school and talk about a, a formal letter as they teach in one of the classes here. Uh, but I also didn't want to put you to sleep. I didn't want to bore you. As soon as you hear school, especially the kids this week, uh, they don't want to hear about school. And parents are so excited about kids going back to school this week, right? Uh, but I want us to understand what this letter, the letter to Ephesians, is all about. When we hear the word epistle, when you hear this word epistle, this is a formal letter written by an apostle. This is what you see in many books in the New Testament are epistles because you understand who an apostle was, right? Uh, I want us to understand an apostle was, they had a special calling from God, a direct word from God. But they also, the reason I would not call myself an apostle is because the definition of apostle is one who has seen the risen Christ. Now you will hear people today that will call themselves apostles, uh, I don't believe that they're true because I don't believe that they have seen the resurrected Jesus. I was not here 2,000 years ago to see the resurrected Jesus. I trust in him in faith, but I have not seen him. Okay, But an, ap an epistle is written by this person, an apostle. And it's directly, it's a letter that he was writing specifically to a group of people or to a person. And the, even the origin of this word means send news. And so this is news that is sent out to a group of people. Uh, again, like I said, the reason for this sermon, the epistle, is to know that this is a letter. This is something I want us to get in our mind that we'll see in just a little bit uh, of how it is, it is from someone, it is to someone, and it is a message that the person that is sending this letter is trying to get across to his readers. And so we this morning, I don't want you to just have your thinking caps on as far as just gaining knowledge, just to gain knowledge, because a lot of times uh, that could be boring. If I just stand up here and lecture, I know some of you worked last night. And so uh, I'm up against the clock as far as your attention span this morning with me. And so uh, so I want us to make sure that we're not just gaining facts this morning, 
and I wrote this down. I want to make sure I read, I read it exactly like I wrote it. But to learn more about Christ through, and his word through his spirit. To learn more about Christ from his word, from God's word, and through his spirit. Because that's a big difference as far as us just gaining facts. But it's another thing for us to really learn and know and understand God's word from his spirit. Let's make something really clear before we look at the verses uh, in just a moment. Is that a person who does not have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ um, is really at a disadvantage. Because the Bible tells us that when we're saved and when we have a relationship with God, that his spirit comes in to dwell inside of us. And so the only way you can really truly understand God's word is with the help, with the one who is called the helper, is the Holy Spirit. He is the one that opens up our eyes. He opens up our understanding. So when we're reading the verses of the Bible, that it will actually make sense to us because of the Spirit of God showing us and illuminating our hearts and our minds. And so as we look at this, I think about, for me, I, I told you a while ago in comparison to me, that you would look good. But you know what? There's a lot of things that I know that are just kind of called, just Lisa refers to it as useless, useless knowledge. It's knowledge, but it's useless. You know, if there's something that we come in contact with, and I'll say, you know, I'll tell you a fact about it, but it's not going to help you put food on the table. It's not going to help you really anything in life. And I have a lot of that useless knowledge. How many of you know what I'm talking about, right? Just useless, useless knowledge. And so for us, as I was thinking about the book of Ephesians, I, was, I had listened to a pastor about two or three months ago, and he had done this to his church. He asked them to get out a piece of paper, and I'm not going to ask you to do this this morning, but he had asked them to get out a piece of paper, and he had ten questions for them. And uh, he just started asking them. He asked them how many books were in the, in the Bible, you know, 66 books. How many were in the New Testament? How many were in the Old Testament? He asked them, you know, who was it that led the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, um, out of, yeah, out of the land of Egypt, and on their way to the promised land? But who actually walked inside of the promised land? Who was that leader? He started asking them random Bible questions. Who was the one that got swallowed by the whale? Some of them we knew as kids, and some of them were a little bit more difficult than others. And he said, you know what? I wanted my I wanted my church family to know that there are so many things that the Bible has for us that it should be part of our aim and our goal for us to figure these things out of what the Bible says. They're in there for a reason, and it's important for us to get this kind of information and knowledge. And so I was thinking about even this book. When you would look at the book of Ephesians, I would love to have had some good questions for us as a church to say, okay, here we are before we start into this book. Let's ask some questions. And at the very end, let's, hopefully we learn from it that if we were to ask those questions all over again about the book of Ephesians you, can, Ephesians, you can say, oh, I learned about that. I know those things. And I so hope that through this study that you would get those things. I hope that you would understand who wrote the book of Ephesians, as we're going to see in a little bit, is the Apostle Paul. I hope and when somebody comes up to you and says, uh, where did the Ephesians, what city did the Ephesians live in? I hope that that's not a difficult question for you. I hope you could understand and say Ephesus. That's why they got their name Ephesians, okay? I hope things like that as we look into it that you would not be ignorant of the word. Now, my son Jude, he is in, believe it or not, because uh, he has my size, he is in fifth grade. And uh, I 
asked him last night, he, he, has, he, has, uh, he has taken two tests in Bible class that he takes in, for his school. And uh, he had one at the end of the first nine weeks, and it was probably 40 questions. And then he had another one at the end of the second nine weeks, right before we did the Christmas break, and it was, again, another 40 questions. And I went through the whole list of it, and it was really about the life of Moses. And uh, I, almost, I almost brought it in here with me this morning to ask him. I mean, he was just, I mean, just stating all of those things. I mean, it was just unbelievable. How many spies that went into the promised land? I, mean, I think we all know that. It should be 12, right? And then so on and so on. The rest of them were just unbelievably so much harder. And uh, what did this represent in the, in the temple? What did the oil represent? And it was a picture of the Holy Spirit. I mean, just on and on. And uh, I even put Lisa and Lydia up to the test last night and asked them. Believe me, they didn't do as well as Jude did, okay? But, you know, those, you say, when we look at those Bible facts, how does that help me in life? And the reason I believe it helps us in life, and the reason I think it's so important to instill that in our children and for us to have a grasp on it and not to settle in I'm just constantly saying, I don't, I'm so scared to get into the Bible. I'm so scared to dig into it because there's just so much. It's because God has a plan and God has a purpose. And his entire word, all 66 books, are very, very important and true to our lives. Once we really start to understand the New Testament, and then we get it on ourselves and start to even understand the Old Testament even more so, it really illuminates and shines more light on the New Testament. And so it's just a great book that God has put together for us and let us not go through this life. Like I said, I have a lot of useless knowledge and we have a lot of facts and understanding a lot about a lot of things that are on this earth that really two seconds after we die is not going to matter one lick. But this Bible is going to stand the test of time. And the things that God has written in these 66 books for his people is going to matter not only for today, but it'll matter for eternity. And so it's really important for us to really dig in to God's word. Now, I also wanted to say this, not only just questions, and I promise we're getting somewhere this morning, but not only questions, but I started to think about, you know what, I want our church family this morning as we're going through the book of Ephesians, when we're going to look at certain passages of scripture, I want us to be able to wrap our mind around that. And I'm telling you, when we really dig in and study these passages of Scripture through the book of Ephesians and really know what these verses mean, uh, it'll change our life. And I was trying to pick out just a few last night. And if, you, if you're in Ephesians, as I hope you are this morning, chapter 1, verse 13, for example. I can't wait till we get to that in a couple of weeks when it says, In Him, talking about Christ, who you also, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, once you have trusted and believed in Christ, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit, a promise. I can't wait till we get to that verse. I can't wait till we get to chapter 2, verse 1, when it tells us, and you, you as Christians, as believers in him, he says, he, God, made alive. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. He says that you walked according to your own ways and, and all these different things, and God is the one that changed you and resurrected you. Verse 4 says, 
uh, in chapter 2, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love uh, with which uh, he loved us even when we we're dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. He continues on and says, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of the grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And finally in verse 8, but it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves is a gift of God. I cannot wait until we start to read these and really discover what all those things mean. You look down in verse 13 of chapter 2, it says, But now in Christ Jesus you were once far off, and now you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Can't wait again as we discover those things. 14, I couldn't stop in verse 14, it says, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation between us. And God, having abolished in the flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body, talking about the Gentiles and the Jews, through the cross, thereby, therefore, putting to death the enmity. And it just on and on as he talks about that our life and our church is built upon the cornerstone of the Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 2, verse 19, it says, Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into the holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together as for a dwelling of God in the spirit. I tell you these verses and I say all of these things to us because God is writing this letter to these Ephesians, but he's really writing these, this letter to the church. He's writing this letter to you and I. There's so much truth and there's so much just passion from the Lord. There's so much reason for us to be excited about the things of God because of what he writes. I have to mention this and then I'll get to our verses. In chapter 3, verse 17, it tells us that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints uh, what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ with which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And he continues on now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church, of by, uh, church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And what that is telling us, and the reason I'm so passionate about it, and the reason I'm getting this across to us now, is because of what he's talking about here. He's telling us if we're rooted and grounded in love in who Christ is, if we really don't have that useless knowledge on everything else, Paul is going to show us and tell us that if you actually have that kind of knowledge in God and when you are rooted in him, you'll be able to, the love of God will just flow through you. And then when we pray and ask the things of God, he goes, he's going to bless us even further and greater than we could even imagine or think. That's what these verses are talking to us about and that he wants to do all of these things through us because of God's glory, that he wants to be glorified through us. And so it's important for us to see and know his word and what he's trying to tell us. So let's look at that this morning. The first point this morning as we look at Ephesians chapter 1, 
verse 1 through 3. Let me read it for us on these three verses, then we'll look at our first point. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3 says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Point number one this morning, hopefully you're taking notes, I encourage you to. It tells us of the sender, of the sender, the person who is actually the one writing this letter. We see it, the first word in this book, it identifies who the writer is, and he says, Paul. Who is this Paul, and what is the relationship that he even has with this group of people? Now, I believe Paul, his, the Bible tells us in the book of Acts, as we looked at last year in 2018, we saw this Paul. His name was Saul. He was part of the, the revolution. He was part of the, of the most popular thing that was going on in the early part of the church, and it was the persecution of Christians. And the Bible tells us that this Saul, the Apostle Paul now, but the, this Saul was the, one of the ringleaders. He had the authority from the local officials to be able to go out and to take Christians from their home and to bring them in and to persecute them and even to the point of death. He had that kind of authority and it was a, it was a, uh, a revolution against the church. And it wasn't just to the point of them thinking of them that was happening, but it was to the point where Saul believed that he was doing this on behalf of God. He really believed that this rebel group of Christianity, that's how he looked at them, and Christ was really going against the Old Testament God. And if Paul, uh, Saul, excuse me, uh, as in his older name, Saul was on that road to Damascus. He was going to, uh, going to go persecute Christians. And the Bible says that God had an encounter with this Saul and had to say to Saul, God from the, as he understood of the Old Testament, same God, but in Paul's mind, he was doing the work of God of the Old Testament, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? God Almighty had to say to Saul, you know you're going against me. You're going against my son Jesus. You're going against his followers, the Christians. And he tells them to stop, number one, and he shows them a different way. He shows them the way of Christ. And so Saul has an encounter with God on that road. He is changed. He's transformed. But this Saul, I want us to understand, he is from the tribe of Benjamin. You remember a Saul we're talking about Saul in the New Testament. I hope we understand and know knowledge of Saul in the Old Testament. The first king of Israel, I could have done a little trick question. Many of you, I believe, would have said David as the first king of Israel. But actually, King Saul was the first king of Israel. Again, a different Saul. Saul in the Old Testament. And uh, Samuel anoints uh, Saul, in the book of 1 Samuel, he anoints Saul as king of Israel. And so uh, they are from the same tribe. The Old Testament Saul was a Benjamite from the tribe of Benjamin. I hope that doesn't scare you to understand the 12 tribes of Israel. 
And then now in the New Testament, this Saul was born of the same tribe. He was probably named after Saul of, of King Saul back in the Old Testament. And so he is a Benjamite. He also tells us in the book of Acts about this Saul as he was, like I said, he was converted. The Bible shows us that his name was changed. Now they begin to call him Paul. And in Acts 13, as we saw this past year, he had a commission from God not to just deal with the Jews, which Paul was a Jew. That's the reason he was trying to defend his Jewish heritage. And when God changed him and has a relationship with Jesus Christ now, God called him to the very people who he hated and despised, which were the Gentiles, people who are not Jews, everybody else. That's you and I this morning. God called him to the very people that Paul would get up every morning and thank God. Well, ladies, you would appreciate this. He thanked God every morning that he was a man and he would thank God that he was a Jew and all of the, I mean, he just, he, that's how he woke up every morning. That's how he believed in his life. And when God changed him, God sent him to the very people who he hated and despised. I love that about God. And he did that for Paul. And Paul went out and he won all those people. And like he really got the gospel out to those people. And I even love the part, I mentioned that about how him getting up there and saying that about women. But I love that in the book of, of, of Acts of how one of the first journeys that he takes to go to those Gentile cities is that he encounters this lady called Lydia. And one of Paul's dearest friends and faithful people in ministry was not only a Gentile, but a Gentile woman. And so we see this about uh, Saul, about now Paul. And in year 53 A.D., on his first missionary journey to go and to win these Gentiles to Christ, he visits this city called Ephesus. And then you see that he only stays there for a short time. And many of those converts, if we got into it and studied, many of those first converts were Jewish people. Paul, as soon as he would go into these cities, he would go into the synagogue. He would go into the Jewish synagogue and he would preach Christ to them. He would go to his home place first. I think that says a lot to us because a lot of times we want to sign up and we want to go win the world for Christ, but yet we won't start at home. We want to go and make, we want to go knock on other people's doors around the country or even in, in our neighborhood or around or, or, or different neighborhoods or even around our area. But our first ministry starts at home. And the Apostle Paul, when he'd go to these new Gentile cities, they all had their Jewish synagogue in that place. And he had the right and he had the credentials to be able to go in there and to preach. And he would preach Christ. Many times they would lead him out of that synagogue whenever he was preaching Christ. But many of his first converts, in, even in this Gentile city, were Jewish uh, people. But we see that Paul comes back a couple years later on his third missionary journey. He goes back to Ephesus and they convince him to stay there for a little over two years that he preaches to them and he leads that church to have a strong church. And there's not only Jews, but they believe that there was many, many Gentiles now at this point in that church. He founded a great church in Ephesus. Now, 10 years from his original date of, of uh, 53 A.D., 
that he, at 60, about 62 or 63 A.D., he is writing this letter now to this church. He has a great relationship with them. He hadn't seen them in years. A lot of things have happened. And you look at some of other Paul, Paul's other writings to the other churches, like Corinth, for example, First and Second Corinthians. He comes out and he is strong against them. He tells them all the wicked and ungodly things that they're doing. And then he starts to tell them some things that they need to do from that point on. And really, you need to deal with some sin. And then now you can move on. But with, for them... For uh, uh, Ephesus, he goes, Ephesians, he goes in and starts with some real clear truth, some doctrine that he lays out for them for the first three chapters. And in four, five, and six chapters, he's telling them now, because you understand this and know these things, now this is your duty. Now this is what you ought to do. This should be an overflow of what you know and have seen and experienced uh, because of what you understand. And so he writes to them. Now, and when he writes to them, understand that he is a prisoner in Rome. He is, ready to, he is ready to go before Caesar in Rome. And so, like I said, he is there in prison and he sends out that letter to them, wanting to encourage them and give them some truth in God's word. So we understand who the sender is. The first part, it says, Paul, an apostle of the Lord Je of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. God is the one that has commissioned him as, as an apostle from Jesus Christ. The next point this morning, I know all of my Cowboy fans this morning are so excited and so pumped up having that playoff victory yesterday. And uh, I'm not hating on you. Uh, but anyway, I wanted to name this message this morning, uh, Who Dat or Go Saints or something like that. But this week we're taking our week off. That's what happens when you have the record that you have. Amen. All right, yeah, that's our first amen this morning, right? But the next point this morning is, oh man, I got some eyes looking at me. I, the second point this morning is saints. Saints. What does the Bible really say about saints? But he addresses this letter to the saints. Remember, this is the letter that he's writing to them. And he says, this is to the saints who are in Ephesus. We, what are the saints that Paul is speaking about? I want to read this because I, I, I wrote it really clear just so we can have a good understanding. In today's day and age, we have an understanding that it, uh, a saint is a deceased person. We look at a deceased person's life, is examined carefully to see whether he qualifies for sainthood. If the candidate's character and conduct are found to be above reproach, if he has been responsible for working at least two miracles, then he is qualified to be to be made a saint. And as interesting as this sounds, as we talk about these things and, and just say what man tells us, we do not find this authorized in the Bible. The Bible shows a lot of examples and refers to saints many, many times. The biblical definition is this, is one who has trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. This person is alive Spiritually, they're not dead, they're alive spiritually. And we understand that the Bible uses many descriptions as far as towards people who have trusted in Christ. Many times they're called disciples. We understand that about Jesus and his 12 disciples. People of the way. There's a road that leads to destruction and there's a road that leads to righteousness. People that are on the right journey, people that are on the way. Also, they're referred to as saints. We understand that this word saint is one, is the definition of this, is one who is set apart. Set apart. God has placed us and has set us apart 
in him, in Christ Jesus. And so we want to see and understand who he's addressing. We see that he is saying to the believers, to the saints who are in Ephesus. And so he's making it very clear to the church of Ephesus, to the people, the believers, not the people who have passed on, but the people who are alive, the people who are sanctified, being sanctified in Christ. And so that's who he is addressing. The reason and how he could even say that these people are sanctified, that are set apart, is because of their faith, faithful and grace. He talks about here the kindness of God toward undeserving people, the grace that God has given to them. Is because you see that in the second part of that first uh, of, uh, of the first verse one to the saints who are in Ephesus uh, and faithful in Christ Jesus. The people who have trusted in God, the people who have been faithful in Christ Jesus is who he's writing to this morning. I love this next verse as he continues on looking at saints and he kind of gives them a, a salutation. He kind of gives them a dear so and so as he's writing this letter. He says it's to the saints, and he's, he wants to say greeting to them, basically. He uses this, this sentence here, and he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And what he's telling them here in this verse 2 is that he is using a Gentile phrase in grace. Very Gentile phrase. What I mean by that is the Gentiles didn't have the law to live by like the Jews did. And the Jews had to go through these different things in order for them to have the blessings of God. They had to go through those, the Levitical priests in order to have the blessings of God. So they had a lot of rules and regulations. When Jesus Christ came, and the, the, like we sing of amazing grace, God's grace has been poured out onto mankind and whoever is found under the blood of Jesus Christ, you have been brought in because of God's grace that he has given to us. And so he starts off by giving this Gentile phrasing to other believers. It says grace to you, but then he continues on and says and peace from God. And what he's telling them in, he gives them this word peace, which is a very... A Jewish term meaning shalom, as they would say to each other, as they would greet one another, they would say shalom back and forth to each other, meaning peace, that God is the one that uh, given them the law and they were constantly were at odds with God because of not being able to keep up to the law. And through Jesus Christ, he has given them peace as a people and salvation that they no longer have to go through these legalistic rituals now that their peace is is found in Jesus Christ. And so he gives them a Gentile and a Jewish, as we see in the next chapter, we will see of how God brings the Gentiles and Jews together through the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says to them, grace and peace to you through God, from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he tells them clearly who he is addressing this book to. It is to these believers, whether they were Jew, whether they were Greek, it didn't matter as long as they were found in Christ. That's who he's writing to. He's writing to believers, Paul is. Let's move on to our last point. And uh, if you're still with me, say, uh-huh, something. Uh -huh. Hey, we're good. Last point. Here we go in verse 3. I love this verse. 
It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. This is our scope. As we have seen our sender, we have seen the saints who he was addressing it to. We see the scope. We see the real purpose. Now, I wasn't the greatest in school. The reason that my church is not in, I lived in DeRitter, grew up in DeRitter, but I went to school in Merville. And uh, you got to say it like that if you're going to talk about Merville. And uh, never lived in Maryville, but I went to school in Merville. And and so I I wasn't the greatest student. But that's the reason I'm not in in Merville at the the school there uh, is because uh, they know there that I wasn't a good student. I enjoyed having a good time. I enjoyed laughing and cutting up, and, uh, and, and I should be ashamed. And that's why I'm so hard on my kids in their school. And so, uh, but anyway, I don't, whatever you do, don't do like I was doing, okay? But whenever I was looking at this this week, and I was looking at this being a letter, and I started to look at just what a formal letter is all about. And uh, I learned so much. Anyway, two Who's it from? Who's it to? And then in that first, beginning of that first paragraph, that first sentence, make it very clear what you're writing about. Don't make any bones about it. Don't beat around the bush. Make that first sentence a good, strong sentence of what the rest of the letter is going to be about. And as I see that verse 3, you see this in Paul's letter to them. He starts out by just saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's start out there. Let's start out of how blessed, it says blessed be the God. God bless you for what you have done for us, the Father God, what you have done for us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Let's start out there. And then he tells us and he continues on, he says, who God, talking about God, has blessed us. The us is referring back to verse, uh, the end of verse 1 to the saints who are in Ephesus, the ones who are faithful in Christ Jesus. He says, listen, he has blessed us today with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now we're talking about, and when you read through the book of Ephesians, you're going to, I don't know how many times, one thing I read this week, it, it mentioned how many times, it was like 30 something times. It constantly refers to in the book of Ephesians about in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus. Talking about when you're a believer and you have been placed under the blood of Jesus Christ. And then when he stands there looking at us, not only Jesus talking to on behalf of us to the Father, that he says, he's one of mine, he's with me, he's, he, the blood that I have shed on the cross is, is over his life. And so when Christ, when God looks upon me, he doesn't see me as that wretched sinner anymore, but now he sees the blood of Christ on me. And so in, throughout the book of Ephesians, it's constantly saying the people who are in Christ Jesus. And he tells us here in this verse 3, he says, this group of people has been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. A Christian this morning, if we, really, if we had a billboard, uh, the school for some reason won't let us put our sermon series on the sign out there. I, I don't know why. But if, if we wanted to be catchy and we really wanted to get people's attention, we should, we should advertise, I think this would be good, Rue, is to advertise how to be rich. 
and just leave it there. You know, uh, this is the rich church. Yeah, the real laugh, right? This is the rich church or how to be rich. This is the whole series is going to be how to be rich because this is what the Bible is referring to. Now, it's not talking about the riches. Sorry to tell you. It's not talking about the riches that you and I really want to get our hands on. Or the money that would, with dead presidents on it. It's talking to us about riches that are in Christ. And the problem is we have a bad understanding and representation of what really is rich. And who actually owns more as far as God, God Almighty, the creator of all, or the bank, or our, this bill, or that bill, or this want, or this need that we think we need. We really think those really have more value than Almighty God. And when we get our perspective right, and when we really see God for who He is, that God, whenever I have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ with, uh, I have trusted Him with my life, and He comes in and dwells inside of me, that He has blessed me with all of heaven inside of me. And so whenever I go about and live my life, am I really doing the things that God has blessed me with? Am I showing that blessing to others? Am I really discovering the blessings that God has given to me? Am I digging in to see the value of the blessings that God has given to me? And in other words, look, here it is. Someone says to me through my, maybe, maybe my dad leaves me some money that I don't know of, and he's not going to. But anyway, maybe there's something, and, and he says, you know what, Garen, your daddy left you some money. It's, it's, a, it's a good deal of money. Well, let me tell you something. If my dad doesn't leave me debt, I'm going to be happy, number one. But is that $2,000? Or is that $2 million? Wouldn't it be good for me to understand and to know which, which value it really is? And so he tells us that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. And one of the things that he's blessed us with is his word. And for us to really not discover that is to say, okay, my dad left me an inheritance, but I don't even know how much it is. And so it's important, it's key, it's vital to our life for us to dig into God's word and to see what our riches are in him. The Bible tells us one of these great unbelievable riches is the fact that we have the Holy Spirit of God when we have trusted in him. A lot of churches, even in our area, maybe we disagree, and I'm not picking on them this morning, but if I were to use the term to you, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And if you didn't, then I would say you've never trusted in Christ. Because the Bible tells us when we do believe, uh, Romans uh, chapter 8 is a good reference point for us to go and look at that in verse 9, also 15, verses 15 and 16. But he tells us that when we're, when we're transformed, when we have a relationship with God, that he baptizes us with his spirit, that we are a different creation in Christ, that we have, been, we have received the spirit of God inside of us. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 3 verse uh, 20 that we are now citizens, citizens in heaven. Our citizenship is now in heaven. And so for us, we're praying to God, seeking God, and understanding that this is where our life is placed. It's now in heaven. And so we're just seeing and understanding what God is trying to accomplish with our life on this earth. Understand that we're rich, Understand we have the blessings of God in our life if we are believers. And i got to say this one thing and I'm done. One last thing. Is glorified. I was talking to Joey who 
uh, came at the end of November. And uh, we were talking about how this book of Ephesians are about in Christ. And he was telling me, well, I was telling him at first, excuse me. I was telling him just in Christ of how God sees us in him. And that the only reason that we have the blessings that we have, the only reason that we have the forgiveness that we have is found in Christ Jesus. And Joey reminded me of how, and we'll look at this next week, of how people will get into this great debate about predestination and all those different things. And understand something, that God knows the end. I'm going to pretend like this area is the end of eternity. Here's the eternity in heaven. God is all-knowing. God is standing there in eternity, whether it's 2,000 years after we die, 5,000 years after we die. God knows the end, even from the beginning. He knows it. And yes, he knows those who are going to choose or not choose him. I believe we have a choice. I'm not going to get into that this morning. The bigger point is that God doesn't just see us still when we choose him as Savior and when we, when we trust him as Savior. He doesn't just see us as that wretched sinner anymore. Or here we are over here struggling as a believer he doesn't just see us as a person, as Paul said, the things that I want to do, I'm not doing. The things that I want to do, I'm not doing. The things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. And we see God is seeing me today as this person who is constantly messing up as a believer, falling on my face. But he doesn't just see me there. He also sees me glorified. He sees me with him perfected today. Yes, I'm going through this now, but he sees me at the end of my journey. And so he's there encouraging me, lifting me up, speaking truth in my life and telling me what I need to do to get through these things in my life if I would just listen. The Bible shows it so much that he sees us glorified. With him. That's why he tells us that when we're saints and we've been called out, we've been set apart. Our citizenship is no longer on this earth. It's in heaven. Just as if we're already there, but we're not there yet. We're still on our journey, but he sees us as good as there. And so for us Christians, believers, if you're with us this morning, understand that we need to discover the things of Christ. It's that important for our lives. Dig in. Know this book. I'm challenging you to this book. Know his entire book, the old, all 66 books, but I'm encouraging you to start even with this book of Ephesians to know about it. Dig. See. I want our church to be mature in a way that I, that I even tremble more. Jake even trembles more in preparation that I don't want to be wrong when I'm presenting this word to you because there's 10 people in this room, 15 people in this room that know God's word so well that if I were to say something wrong, God forbid, that you would say, okay, but Garen, didn't the Bible say this here? And you had me, you and I, you and uh, me, you and Jake could have an intelligent conversation about it. 
Know God's word to know what you know. Because if we were talking about other useless knowledge, if I were to start talking to you uh, about form life, uh, Lord help me, you could tell me so many different things that I didn't even know. Now if we're talking about laying chicken's eggs and stuff like that, maybe I know a little bit. But anyway, you get my point? My point is you know a lot of stuff about a lot of different things. Let's know about God's word. Let's know about the blessings that he has for us through his word. That should be our number one aim in our life. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you and we praise you. We thank you so much, Lord God, for who you are. Lord, thank you for speaking to us, dealing with us in and through our lives. Lord, I pray we would, as believers that are in this room and just in this solemn moment, I I pray believers people who say they have trusted you with their lives and that they say that they have received you and your precious blood that has been poured out for them on the cross. I pray that group of people who Paul was writing to in Ephesians would see, we would see ourselves as believers who has been blessed by you. That you have just poured out your love. You have poured out your inheritance. You have poured out your all. On us. Through us. And I pray, Lord God, that we would understand those things. I pray that we would seek. That we would discover those things in in our life. Because, Lord, when... Just not even in trouble necessarily... But trouble will happen in our lives. But even in our daily walk with you, that we'd be able to discover what you're up to in our life. Of how our eyes would be open not only to the things that are involved in our life, but our eyes would be open to the things around us. The people who are hurting, the people who are in need, what you're trying to accomplish in and through our lives daily. That's only going to come when we understand our position in you. And I pray for each individual in this room this morning that as believers would discover that, would see it. I pray for others in this room, Lord God, who have not trusted you. And my heart simply goes out to them because I so desire for them to have this relationship with you, Lord God. I pray that I would be a good ambassador of this relationship to even in my failures and my faults and all of these things that my light would shine for you. That a lost and dying world, but a lost and dying person, a person that doesn't have a relationship with you, would see the beauty in salvation that comes through you. Would understand it, to have someone to lead and guide their life instead of us trying to figure it out on our own. Lord, I pray that for anyone that has not trusted you this morning. Again, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. Our worship team is going to lead us in this time of song. I don't. I pray that.